Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, hello, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? Oh, that's how I feel. I feel the same way. I am so glad to be in the house of the Lord and with the people of the Lord today. And if you're at one of our locations, uh, uh, one of the 11 locations around this region, we're so thankful for each and every one of you. If you are inside praying for you, loving on each one of you from a distance, if you're online, we're thankful for each one of you that we get to share the message of truth with you as well. It's just awesome to be together, however we can do that, to be together. And I have to tell you that this last week has definitely been a tough one, a lot of opposition this week. But you know what? I see a baptism video like that, and I'm going, our God still gets it done, doesn't he? He gets it done. He breaks through. He gets into hearts and then the lives of people in just amazing ways and we see those victories until the supernatural around here is just normal because only god can change a human heart like that it's so good one of those things that was so good last week was our men's conference uncommon it was incredible and there were a lot of things that happened at men's conference that were life-changing for me personally uh and challenging uh, to me personally, and there were a lot of highlights. I don't have time to spend a lot on on all those highlights, but I was struck particularly by a message that came from Tyler McKenzie from Northeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, because what he did was uh, he talked about American masculinity and a truly godly man. And, uh, you know, when he first started talking about American masculinity, I'm going, oh, no, where, where's he going to go with this? Where What's going to happen? But it was so good because the theme of Uncommon this year was Samson. And there's such a contrast between Samson and his persona and Jesus. And when you look at Samson, you see something indicative of American masculinity. Just hang with me here. He was known for his physical strength. He was known for his physique. He had this selfish desire to possess things and to possess people. He had a tenacity to get what he wanted, regardless of what oppositions or whatever things would, would happen. He was known for his sexual prowess, and he had this insatiable desire and ability to kill his enemy. Sounds a lot like some of the things that, you know, we're taught to aspire to in our culture if we're male. And Jesus stands in stark contrast with that. He wasn't known for his physical strength, was he? There's like nothing in the Bible that says Jesus was ripped. Right? Now, we know he was strong because he was able to endure the scourge. A lot of people died, never made it to crucifixion because they would die under the scourge. So obviously he had physical strength, but it's never uh, elevated, you know, in the narrative of God's word. There is no record of him fighting anyone. I mean, when you think about it, like, yeah, and then Jesus threw hands with the Pharisees. There's nothing like that, Right? So, so you don't ever see him fighting that way. He's not recorded in the Bible as ever really owning anything of value. 
He abstained from sexual activity altogether. He is not a picture of American masculinity, is he? And yet, what a man. What an incredible man. After being beaten nearly to death, Jesus is mocked by Pontius Pilate, who has a crown of thorns pressed down on his head and puts a purple robe on his bloody body and then brings him before this mob of people and says these words in the Greek language, eke homo, behold the man. And what Tyler said in his message is that's what you're truly seeing. You're seeing a man, a true man. I love the quote from Rocky Balboa. Who doesn't love Rocky Balboa quotes? But in the movie when he says this, it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. It's about how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. When I think about this, amen, when I think about this, what is a single word? that can describe that. I've got a four-letter word for you right now. You ready? Grit. Grit. Webster's Dictionary defines grit as firmness of mind or spirit, unyielding courage in the face of hardship or danger. Well, I like that. And what we're going to do, and this is going to kind of sound like self-help, life coach, secular stuff, and then what we're going to do is flip the script on this and get it from God's Word. But I think you'll all agree, and anyone would agree, whether uh, faith-filled or secular, about these realities. That grit would be understood through these five qualities. One is courageousness, courage. And when you think about courage, that's, that relates to your ability to manage fear. Particularly, I think, culturally, fear of failure. It's understanding that failure must be embraced as part of the process. So courage doesn't shrink away from fear. Second one is conscientiousness. Conscientiousness is defined as someone who works as smart as they do hard. They're conscientious. They measure success at the proper speed. They don't burn people out by working them so hard and then they just flame out. They realize that the best and the most happens when everybody is contributing to the success at the highest level. Grit has an enduring quality to it, endurance. Another word for endurance would be stamina. It means to keep going until the job is done. And there, I, when I think about this, there is a strong connection to the idea of grit and grind because sometimes you just have to grind. Sometimes you just have to grind it out to keep moving in the direction of the goal. It means being a good finisher. Now, we don't want to be people that had a good six-month run, two-year run, five-year run. We want to be people who finish. That's one of my prayers is, God, help me to finish well. Because grit has an enduring, endurance quality to it. It also has a resilient quality, resilience. Now, endurance and resilience, they sound a lot alike, but they're not. Because this has to do with the part of grit that has obstacles or opposition. Resilience 
deals with obstacles and opposition. It's what keeps your head up when you want to give up. Grit powers through obstacles because we keep our eyes on the goal. And finally, grit has to do with excellence. Now, before you can understand what excellence is, you have to understand what it is not, okay? Excellence is not perfection. People get that mixed up. And here's the problem with perfection. It's unattainable. And because it's unattainable, it's self-defeating. Excellence allows for disappointment. It allows for failure because you are in an ongoing quest for improvement and fulfillment of purpose. Now, our life coach, Jesus, wants us to have grit. And to that end, he gives us all of these examples in the Bible of people who have grit. So there's a number of people that I could turn to here, but I decided to pick one of them in the Old Testament. His name is Nehemiah. There's a, a Bible book named after him. To understand Nehemiah, you got to understand a little bit of historical backstory, okay? So let me help you get there. Israel has become, at the time, long before Nehemiah, had become a very godless nation. Even though they were the people of God, they'd forgotten God. And God warned them. He said, listen, you keep forgetting me. You keep blowing off my commands not doing and doing these other things. I'm going to release my protection. And they completely forget God. So when you get to Nehemiah, the nation has been overthrown. It's been pretty much destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon's come in. He completely destroys this nation of Israel, destroys Jerusalem, destroys the temple, takes all the spoils of war. The people he doesn't kill, he deports as exiles, enslaves them. And there's a bunch of stories in the Bible about those enslaved people like Daniel in the lion's den, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace, like Esther who uh, pleads for her people to the king. Great stories. But their country, their capital, their temple have been completely destroyed. After 70 years of that exile, there's a new kingdom, the Persian kingdom, that takes over the Babylonian kingdom, and they allow some of the exiles to go back home. Now that's been happening now when we're reading like 60 years. When we catch up with Nehemiah, it's 130 years after the, the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile. It's 60 years after the Persians take over and they are starting to let people go back. And so he allows one guy to go back named Ezra, the, the uh, king of the Persians, to rebuild the temple. The book of Ezra in the Old Testament's about that. But just because the temple's been rebuilt, it is nowhere near its former glory. When Solomon built his temple, he used gold for mortar. So it's nowhere near where it was. And everything around that newly built temple is still in ruins, and the people who returned there are still in constant danger, and that is where we catch up with Nehemiah, okay? 130 years after the destruction. These are the, uh, the words of Nehemiah, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that's the capital of Persia, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, 
And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then he, it's amazing to me. It's 130 years since this has happened. I mean, this guy's never even been to Jerusalem. I mean, what, I mean, think about the emotional reaction to this news, even though he has no physical connection to it. So then he prays to God. He says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your your servants, the people of Israel. I, listen to this, I confess the sins of the Israel, we Israelites, including myself, and my father's family have committed against you. Remember, it was 130 years ago that all this stuff happened, and yet he's saying right now, we have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, laws you set up, uh, you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. That was his boss, the king. And then he tells you what he did for a living. I was cupbearer to the king. Now, if you want to have grit before the Lord, if you want that, and here's what Jesus is life coaching you right now. Grit begins with courage, and courage begins with a calling to a high purpose. Grit begins with courage, and courage begins with a calling to a high purpose. Now let me show you how Nehemiah is an example of that. Artaxerxes is the name of the king of Persia. Now we know plenty about Artaxerxes, but we know more about his father, who's just simply called Xerxes, or history records him as Xerxes the Great. Many of you are already familiar with this guy if you watch the movie The 300, because he was the guy with no shirt and all the piercings that was like nine feet tall. That was Xerxes the Great. That dude was a dude to be feared, right? All that to say, that Nehemiah's boss His son was also greatly to be feared. And Nehemiah was going to have to go to him and ask for lots of permission. Now, it wasn't like Nehemiah was a stranger to fear. He had developed courage. You know why I know that? He dealt with it every day. He was cupbearer to the king. 
Now, one of the favorite ways of being able to depose monarchs in the ancient world was to poison them. And there's a number of stories in ancient literature about monarchs being poisoned to death. So every single day as cupbearer, Nehemiah risks his life at every meal because there is nothing that Artaxerxes eats that he hasn't tasted first. There's nothing that he drinks that Artaxerxes, that, that Nehemiah hasn't checked out to make sure he didn't die. And if Nehemiah didn't die, Artaxerxes had a meal. So he was familiar with fear, but he was also a man of courage. Now, when he heard about Jerusalem, a place he'd never been to, for some reason, it captured his heart and broke his heart. He felt the weight of it, and then he made the burden his own. We call that a calling. Something happened to him, not just intellectually, but emotionally. He felt responsible, felt the burden, and then had to respond to that. That's calling. Now, there's a lot of fear in calling. When God calls you to something, there's all kinds of things that can like scare you or that can make you not want to fulfill that calling There's because there's lots of room for doubt. Think about Nehemiah. Why should it be him? He's a cupbearer. He's not a construction person or a management person. He's never had to do that. And if you're going to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall, you're going to have to know construction. You're going to have to know management. He doesn't know that. How, how am I going to get permission from the king? I'm not even allowed to talk to him unless he talks to me first. How, who's going to help me? I can't build a wall around a city by myself. Where am I going to get the supplies to do it? Where am I going to get the money to do it? Think of all the excuses. Many of you, all of our locations, have had a calling on your life, but there are voices in your head telling you not to do it. They're your voices. Because a lot of life coaching is self-talk, and you talk yourself out of a lot of things. When God is saying, I am laying this on your life. Now, I want you to know something about courage as it applies to calling. Ready? God will supply whatever he calls you to. God will supply whatever he calls you to. Now, the courageous part of grit comes from this knowledge that God, if, he, if you're doing his agenda and not your own, God's going to take care of it. And now, some of you are going, okay, Jerry, this is fine, but I don't have a calling on my life. Oh, yes, you do. You have a number of callings on your life right now. Maybe you don't recognize them as callings, but that doesn't make them not a calling. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you are married? If you're married and you have a spouse, you have a God-given calling on your life right now. Because God puts a calling alongside of that relationship, a spirit-infused uh, calling that you need to have in that marriage. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but a number of you have children. And having children is a calling. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of work, you know, for a lot of people to have kids. But to actually be a parent, that's calling. To be a spouse is a calling. To be a parent is a calling. Some of you have friends. I mean, really, you actually do, right? <laughs> Me too, but go figure. You have friends. 
Having friends and being in a relationship with friends, that is also a calling. All of you have gifting. Some of you have more, some of you have less, but there's not a single person listening to my voice that doesn't have giftings. And God gives you giftings for specifically using them in his kingdom. And in that sense, your gifting is a calling. He wants to employ those giftings in his kingdom at his discretion. You all have callings is what I'm saying. Some of you are going, well, when God calls me some big deal, well, then I'll listen. No, God's calling you right now. And if you can't be faithful in those things, why would he call you to do other things? I got a story to tell you. A couple years ago, three years ago, we were doing Wreck the Roof. We were starting this whole Wreck the Roof uh, generosity initiative. And one of the things we did was we did these Pathfinder summits. And there was a couple that came uh, from Pike County to one of our Pathfinder summits named Kent and Wendy Cox. And uh, I was uh, uh, explaining some of the things we were going to do. And one of those things was I said, Sometime God just, sometimes God just says, hold out your hand. And he gives you things you really don't deserve. And when we got the camp, that was what happened. And I'm sharing about the camp and how that was going to be part of this initiative. And of course, you know, you've been, if you've been coming these last few weeks, you've been seeing all these baptisms happening in the lake, all these baptisms happening in the swimming pool, right? And, you're, and so the harvest is coming in, right? Happening right now. And so it's, that's, which is awesome to see. But when I mentioned that, Kent and Wendy were sitting in a front table, and Clayton, who's a big obstacle, was in between me where I was speaking and Kent and Wendy where they were sitting. And Kent, and Kent told me, he goes, when you mentioned that in 2018, I wanted to hurdle over Clayton and high-five you because I felt God call me to that ministry. 2018. He goes, I regret the fact that I didn't come find you and tell you that. Because I told a bunch of other people that, that were connected with the crossing, and it seems like it just kept falling on deaf ears. So, so fast forward to now. I mean, literally, these, uh, this couple took early retirement because they knew that God was calling them to this ministry. So it was like two or three weeks ago, I get a call from Walt Wilcoxon at the Pike County campus. And hi, Walt. And... And he goes, hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but I got to, and he tells me this story. And I go, can I have lunch with them today? I want to have lunch with them today. And they made, of course, time to do that. And right now, Kent and Wendy Cox are managing our camp. Isn't that awesome? Now, why did I tell you that story? I told you that story because they didn't let go of their calling. Even though they had to have patience for three years, they didn't let go of their calling. And then God took that and now they're experiencing the joy of their calling in their midst of their calling because that's what God gifted them for and shaped them for. And as, as a body of believers, we're receiving the benefit of that. You got to have a courageous heart. You have to have a conscientious heart. Look at Nehemiah 4, 6 to 15. So we rebuilt the wall till it reached half its height. That's pretty awesome because these walls are big and it goes all the way around the city. Halfway done. Took less than a month. For the people worked with all their heart. You know what that means? It means that Nehemiah's vision became their vision. And you can do so much more 
if everybody joins in. But you got to be conscientious to do that, right? It says, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. There's always going to be opposition, people. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we, what? Went out and fought. No. But we gave up and stopped. No. But we prayed. Oh, yeah. Now we're getting serious. We prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, the strength of our laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble. We cannot rebuild the wall. No, you can't, but God can. And he'll use you to do it if you have been called to his purpose, right? And our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them. We'll kill them and put an end to this work. Friends were against it. Enemies were against it. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I quit. No. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at exposed places, posting them by families with their swords or spears or bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, I love this, don't be afraid of them. Really? They can kill us, Nehemiah, except for what he says next. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. They didn't have to fight. Because when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Sometimes it's just a lot of air, isn't it? Sometimes it's just a lot of air. And you have to follow God's calling, even in the midst of that opposition. Because grit takes a conscientious heart, but it also takes an enduring and a resilient heart. I love that verse 6. It hits me. Halfway done, less than a month. Doors are being made, gates are getting done, the wall's halfway up, spirits are high, and then this wave hits. Right? Looking back at verse 10 to 12, the people of Judah said, strength of the laborers is given out, so much rubble, we can't rebuild the wall. The enemies, before they know it or see us, will be right there among them, kill them, put an end to the work. The Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. I think this is something all of us get. I think all of us can be pretty good starters, but I think it's harder for us to be finishers. Because to be a finisher, you have to have endurance and you have to have resilience. And if you want to have grit in your calling, you need those two things. You need endurance and resilience. We struggle with being good finishers. Think about what Jesus said in the parable of the four soils. He said the seed went out, right? Some of it went in on a path. Some of it went in the rocks. Some of it went in the thorns, right? Because we can get burnt out, choked out, and starved out. 
But grit means you pace yourself. You keep a balance between the deep and the wide. You hear how he does that? Oh, yeah, we got a big calling, got a big mission, but I'm staying close to my Lord. We stay connected to the capital S, source, every day. And then that grit shows up. It shows up. It shows up as we grind it out, even when we feel like we're at a standstill. In the spring, you know, like, like landscaping does, it just starts looking kind of tired and nasty. You know what I'm saying? And like, you know, you have to always go buy the mulch and everything. Well, we have river rock. And that river rock had been there for 12 years, and it was getting tired, and I needed to put some new river rock on. And I didn't want to spend that money it does for each, like individual bags. So I ordered 10 tons. And they brought the dump truck, and they dumped 10 tons of river rock on my driveway. And if you drive by my driveway right now, you're going to see a big pile of river rock. And I'll tell you what, I got my uh, wheelbarrow, and I started filling that wheelbarrow, and I started, and I wish... I had taken a picture of the river rock when it came because in my mind, it looks as big as it was when I started. I needed that like before and after one so I could go, man, it, it's, there's only four tons there, not 10. But those four tons look an awful lot like, I mean, four tons look a lot like 10 tons right now. But one of these days, like when I'm 80, they'll be gone, all right? You have to have endurance <laughs> and resilience Keep grinding it out till the job's done. Now, grit pursues excellence too, but not perfection. When Ezra rebuilt the temple, it was nothing like it had been before. There wasn't the gold like there had been before, the cedars of Lebanon. There wasn't even an Ark of the Covenant. It was gone in the Holy of Holies. So much had been lost. Much of the new wall that Nehemiah built was built out of the rubble of the old wall. So it didn't have the grandeur it used to have. And even with this incredible accomplishment, it wasn't the same as it had been 130 years before. That wasn't possible. You know, a lot of people, that would just end them. You know, they'd be like, well, you know, we can't restore the good old days. And so what's the point? Here's the point. The people had a place to worship again. They had walls and gates to make them safe again. And the things that they held most dear their temple worship, it was restored to them. Sure, it wasn't perfection, but it was excellent. And that's the nature of this life. Things wear out, they break, they rot, they get stolen, right? And it must have felt that way to you like it did to me when COVID hit us. It was like so much was taken away and now we're trying to rebuild and, you know, after that and, and put everything back together. And some of us are going, well, well, you know, and I'm going this. It's hard not to concentrate on what was, but instead we need to look forward on what, to what could be. It's human nature to look backward, but we need to look forward and realize that God is with us and he'll do greater things than he's done before. Grit allows for the losses, it allows for the failures, it allows for the disappointments, and at the same time, we realize that a great thing is happening for Christ and his kingdom. Amen. There's a lot of great coaches and a lot of great coach stories, but of course, I have to like a coach that's from Indiana. And that was the great coach John Wooden, the NCAA basketball coach for UCLA. Now he won 10 college basketball championships in 12 years. Total domination. 
And he said that the most important attribute to having a winning team was this, mental toughness. When we talk about grit, that's what we're talking about, mental toughness. And you know where he learned that? He learned that from the most mentally tough example of all time, his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was a devout Christian, and he considered his beliefs much more important to him than basketball. Let me quote from him. I've always tried to make it clear that basketball is not the ultimate. It is of small importance in comparison to the total life we live. There is only one kind of life that truly wins, and that is the one that places faith in the hands of a savior. Wooden's faith, it strongly influenced his life. He read his Bible every day. He attended First Christian Church. That's right, he was a home team guy. Christian Church. Anyway, and he said this. I love this quote. There's a lot of great wooden quotes. I love this one. He said that he hoped his faith was apparent to others. Quote, if I were ever prosecuted for my religion, I truly hope there would be enough evidence to convict me. All right, listen, you have a calling on your life and we follow a leader with scars. We follow a leader who knows what it's like not to hit, but to get hit and to get back up and to keep moving forward. He knew how to win. He never loses. He's never lost. And if you follow him, you're following a winner, not just in this life, but in the scope of all eternity. So when he calls you, follow that calling. The truth is he's called every one of you. And if you follow him in those little things, he'll give you opportunities for bigger things. He's calling you right now. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.